Al-Jazeera podcast. Syria is struggling to respond to the earthquakes disaster, but how much of that is down to politics? The regime in Damascus insists that it should control aid and rescue efforts, but as it's under international sanctions and boycotts, won't that hamper aid reaching devastated areas? Hello, I'm Adrian Finnegan. This is the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help to define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests for today's discussion. From Ankara, we're joined by Amit Kessa, who's Associate Professor at Hassan Kolyonko University. Uh, from Brussels, uh, we have uh, Assad Al-Aichi, uh, who is Executive Director of Beitna Syria. That's a non-governmental organization that uh, provides grants for development projects in Syria. And from Norman, Oklahoma, Joshua Landis, Director of the Center for Middle East Studies at the University of Oklahoma. Gentlemen, welcome to you all. Uh, Ahmed, let's start with you. Syria then, as we heard, says that it should control the delivery of aid into all of Syria. It doesn't recognize the non-governmental organizations working in the north and northwest. Is Syria playing politics with aid? To to be honest, uh, when we are talking about Syria, you know, uh, at least uh, the country is already uh, divided into three sections and different powers are controlling uh, each uh, section. Uh, In the northeastern part, we have the PKK, PID, YPG, a Kurdish influence area. And uh, at the center, uh, Damascus, uh, through uh, Aleppo and the Mediterranean area, we have the regime forces. And on the northwestern part, under the Turkish influence, we have the opposition forces, uh, the Syrian Salvation Government. So in each area, they have different difficulties after the earthquake. But the most affected areas are especially under the regime control and under the salvation, uh, Syrian Salvation Government control, because the losses concentrate in those two, those two regions. For example, under the northwestern part, under uh, Salvation Government, I think the death toll of the people reached to more than 1,280. And under regime control, is 1,250. So uh, different administrations, different political powers make the situation a little bit more difficult. But this chaotic environment may ha- give a pa- give pave to new political advances in the region for the unitary structure of the Syrian maybe for the future. We will see. But the situation is chaotic. And the first thing to be conducted by the international community and the United Nations should be to focus on the humanitarian aid in all the regions with NGOs and international uh, organizations, but, all I'm, of them, I'm, I'm, uh, with I'm, all I'm, the region as well. I'm, I'm sorry to, to interrupt you. How can the UN do that if, if Syria's government, though, insists that all of the aid delivered to Syria has to go through it? For, for the regime part, there might be some difficulties, but I think for the opposition part, it will not be a problem because already there are international organizations uh, working in that regions. Uh, so uh, I think the negotiations should be given uh, some, uh, let's say, uh, they should be concentrated on uh, coming together and finding solutions because today is not the day for political power clashes. Today, the humans are uh, really, uh, they, they need the basic needs, shelter because of the winter conditions, uh, the humanitarian food, water, every kind of thing. 
And that should be the first thing that the whole world should concentrate on, not the political clashes at the moment. Uh, Assad, uh, does the Syrian government, still a pariah in much of the international community, and under US and EU uh, sanctions, uh, does it have any role to play in the distribution of aid to rebel-held areas of the country? If it accepts offers of assistance, what measures could or perhaps should uh, be put into place to ensure that, that aid reaches its intended recipients? Well, if, I'm, if I may, thank you for having me. If I may start very quickly by saying that no matter what the Syrian government says, uh, um, the UN has a mandate to deliver humanitarian aid to the northwest of Syria, as the cross-border resolution was just renewed in January uh, and has a mandate to do that until the end of June. So there is a clear mandate for the UN to be able to do that. The Syrian government can say whatever it wants. Uh, now, um, what we really need, though, at the moment is not only equipment and, and material, but it's actually international rescue teams. And um, I, I here want to salute the Egyptians who have already sent uh, the first international uh, rescue team into Jinderas uh, in the areas under control of the opposition. Uh, but international rescue teams are needed in all affected areas. For that, there might be a need to uh, coordinate with the Syrian government. Uh, but I think uh, the main actor there would be the Syrian Arab Red Crescent, and they should be the interlocutor of, of the international community, not the Syrian government in Damascus. Uh, and uh, through SARC, uh, I think um, international rescue teams can make their way into Jebli and Aleppo city, which are the most two affected areas in uh, Syrian government control. Now, the challenge, um, as the professor has mentioned, uh, is for areas under control of the Salvation Government. So uh, to go a bit into the particularities of the northwest of Syria, it's not really one area, it's two areas. It, a greater Idlib that is under control of, this, the, of the Salvation Government, which is an HDS-sponsored government, and the areas under direct Turkish control, which are controlled by the Syrian interim government uh, that is affiliated to the opposition. So for areas under direct control of the Turkish uh, government, um, aid is not really a problem uh, as we do not have to deal with terrorist organizations. For Idlib, um, that is a challenge. Uh, we, uh, and uh, the need, it, we need immediate solutions uh, for that because two of the largest hit cities uh, in, um, in the northwest of Syria are in the Idlib province, mainly Harim and Salim. Those are the two uh, most affected uh, cities in, in, uh, in the greater Idlib province. They can easily be accessed through the Bab al-Hawa crossing. Bab al-Hawa crossing is the authorized crossing by the UN mechanism. So everything is in place for an international response. Now it remains to be seen how yeah. we can allow for international rescue teams to go in yeah. and for equipment uh, to be delivered. But, but, but the that, last as small a, logistical as, challenge as, as a, as that a, remains yeah. is be, make, making sure that the yeah. road uh, is in is uh, in good shape to be able okay. to do the as, as of now, uh, as of that, that, that crossing is, is remains closed, doesn't it, due, due to the, the, the damage to the infrastructure? No, no, the, the, the crossing is open. Okay, good. The, 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 the crossing is open. Just to be, the, the crossing is open. There are small logistical challenges on the road mm. uh, from the Gaziantep hub to uh, the border crossing because of the, the, the destruction uh, around Rehandla, which is uh, to a bit to the north of the border crossing. It should be fully functional 
by the end of the day, and the Turkish government has made uh, Bab Salama and Arra'i border crossings uh, as alternatives uh, for, for entry of humanitarian aid. So at the moment, we have three border crossings that are uh, open. One is half operational, which is Bab al-Hawa, which is the main UN authorized border crossing. But there are two alternative border crossings that are fully functional, easily accessible, and these are Bab Salama and Arai border crossings. Joshua Landis, 90% of people in northern Syria were already dependent upon humanitarian aid before this earthquake. A natural disaster on this scale could not have hit a more vulnerable population. Not a uh, as we heard, you know, it's it's difficult at the moment. For a while, not a single route was was open for aid. But as Assad has just told us, at least now that that one crossing uh, is open, time is of the essence. People are dying. What should be done and by whom? As our fellow humans suffer, uh, surely now is the time to put politics aside, isn't it? It is a time to put politics aside, and this may offer a, a chance for some kind of boost and change of policy. Uh, you asked in the beginning of your thing about whether people are playing politics with this, and of course they are. You know, every one of these three areas that are controlled by different governments and different regimes are, are playing politics with food. The United States has put very severe sanctions on Syria. It's impossible to send money in to loved ones through banks. All of the uh, banking codes, SWIFT codes, have been blocked. The United States controls all of Syria's oil and is trying to make sure that no oil gets to Syria. That means that machines can't run. And Assad is doing the same thing with the rebel-controlled uh, areas. He's, he, he wants to control what food gets to the rebels. And, and it's the same with the rebels uh, and the aid coming into the rebel area. So <clears throat> this is, it's time for politics to be put aside. And I think that the international community needs to rush aid in to all three of these enclaves, particularly the Northwest, the rebel-controlled area, and the Syrian area, because Latakia, Aleppo, Hama regions have been devastated. My own, uh, <clears throat> my own in-laws who live in Latakia area, numerous buildings around theirs has, have collapsed, and, uh, and that's true for towns throughout the region. So they need aid desperately. Joshua, the U.S. Has, has ruled out delivering aid via the Syrian government. As we heard at the beginning of the program, uh, U.S. State Department spokesman Ned Price said it would be ironic, if not even counterproductive, for us to reach out to a government that has brutalized its people over the course of a dozen years now. I mean, is that the right attitude, given uh, the situation? How will no, the U.S. It's not get the right aid? Attitude. Okay, well, how will the U.S. get aid to people it who need it? Uh, the U.S. is not going to get aid into this area. Um, you know, they're going to get aid into the northeast and the northwest, um, and that's fine. The point is, is that the international community, America, can sit aside on this. But the Arab governments, we've seen Egypt reach out, Sisi has reached out to the Syrian government. <clears throat> the Syrian government is going to be involved in this one way or the other. And through the Red Cross, the Red Cross is working within the Syrian part, the Syrian government-controlled part. So is the Red Crescent. Those are two excellent agencies that can deliver aid. And... Uh, and, you know, if the United States can deliver aid to those uh, agencies, then they don't have to go through the government directly. Of course, the government's involved in delivering trucks and delivering aid, and the military is going and digging people out. The Syrian government is not, is, is 
is trying to respond to this. Of course, the spotlight is on the government. Can it be effective? And, and Syrians are in despair because their government has been so ineffective. The, the, the national budget of Syria this year is about $3 billion, uh, which is, uh, you know, the reconstruction of Syria needs, needs tens of billions of dollars. The, the government is not in any shape, way or shape of capable okay. of carrying out the aid that needs to be taken, uh, that needs to be delivered in this area. We'll, we'll come back to this point in, in a few minutes, uh, Joshua. Amit, uh, Turkey also, of course, badly affected by this earthquake. It's understandably focused on its, on its own citizens right now. But to what extent does it hold the key to, to access to, to, to northern Syria, even though the roads on, on both sides of the border at the moment are, are very badly damaged? Uh, actually, uh, today uh, we have, uh, let's say, very, very close connection uh, with the uh, temporary administration system in the northwestern sites uh, under the Turkish influence. So uh, they are uh, very, uh, let's say, uh, connected uh, to the Turkish administration system and they are working in cooperation with them. But just to give an idea for our audience, uh, the worst case scenario in the earthquakes happened in the region. Only in Turkey, 10 provinces were affected and the area is about bigger than 100,000 square mile, uh, square kilometers. So it's bigger than the whole area of Iceland or Portuguese or Hungary. So like a whole country. So that's why in uh, first uh, day it was very difficult to fix all the roads and other things. Uh, but today, most of them are uh, working uh, and the roads will be connected and opened. Uh, as already mentioned uh, by our friend from Brussels, uh, the gates are working and the third one uh, will be uh, operational, I think, uh, till the end of today. Uh, so the aid system will properly work also. But in some regions, uh, we have seen, for example, in Pinar that uh, PKK is also ignoring this extraordinary situation and attack to the border pass uh, by multi-ranged rocket systems. So the terrorist organizations are using also these uh, bad conditions as an opportunity for their attack. So these should be uh, prevented as well and taken under control, of course, because the security forces are already concentrated on the rescue uh, efforts. So this is difficult. But it's working. But so the international you, community can concentrate so, on humanitarian aid and it yeah, can I'm, work. I'm sorry to, to interrupt. You, you say they sh that these areas should be taken under control. By whom? Uh, of course, the security, <clears throat> security forces in the region. But uh, when the uh, international rescue teams uh, reach to the area, uh, the actual security forces can return to their uh, actual works and they can concentrate on the security as well, because uh, now uh, the military and other security forces are concentrated on research and rescue. So the terrorist organizations are using this as an opportunity uh, to threaten the uh, current security situation also to deteriorate uh, it. So that's why I think uh, more research and rescue teams uh, and other humanitarian aid materials should reach to the point and security okay. forces uh, then uh, should remain the security uh, I mean, uh, and maintain their security as well. Uh, I mean, you, you say that the, that the various groups are taking advantage of the situation for their own ends. To what extent will the Syrian government try to do the same and take advantage of this situation uh, for its own ends? 
for sure that that, that uh, all the political parties uh, may try to use it uh, but it is not very easy as well because uh, they already themselves have uh, huge problems in their own area as well uh, so i don't think that uh, they will try to use this as an opportunity to attack uh, idlib region uh, and other places but of course uh, that's a kind of alternative or risk uh, which should be mitigated or uh, some precautions should be taken and international uh, international community uh, should focus on should not ignore as well uh, Assad, what effect were the, were the international sanctions on Syria having people in the northwest of the country before the disaster? So, um, international sanctions uh, and, and have no um, impact on emergency response and humanitarian aid. Yeah, but as, uh, as, as there are as, wide-reaching, uh, far-reaching exemptions. Yeah. Sorry, now, sorry. As, said as, that, as we as we said, ninety percent of people in northern Syria were already dependent upon humanitarian aid before the earthquake. So, that, so the sanctions must have been having some impact upon them. Well, well I was getting, I was getting okay. to that. The okay. sanctions have 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 uh, direct impact, uh, as Professor uh, as Professor Landis said, on on uh, remittances, on financial transfers. Into, into the country because of the debanking of, uh, of Syria and the fact that we only left to use the Hawala system, which is uh, not scalable and, and, and very difficult, uh, very difficult and convoluted uh, to use. So uh, fi the, the, the big impact is on remittances, is on the ability of peer-to-peer -peer, uh, financial distributions, etc. Uh, so what financial san uh, international sanctions are doing are basically they're increasing the cost of the humanitarian uh, response. However, they're not preventing it. And I absolutely agree with what Professor Hernandez said, that the Syrian government is absolutely inefficient, but not only inefficient, I would say also extremely corrupt and criminal. Mm. And the way they're approaching all disasters that have, uh, that have you know, uh, affected Syria, and also how they're uh, approaching the, uh, this disaster, uh, of, of the earthquake. So, um, th therefore, we need international rescue teams. We cannot leave this to the hands of the different de facto authorities on the ground. We absolutely need an international coordination mechanism right. and international I, rescue teams I, to be on the ground in all areas I, of Syria. I wanted to ask you who will coordinate uh, the response. To, to what extent will the reluctance of international actors to deal with Syria's government and support non-governmental uh, organizations directly lead to a botched response? Therefore, we need to create a coordination mechanism. How yeah. to do that? There are, there are different ways. At, at, at one who? point, it was the UN. It was the UN. It mm. was Ocha that was doing that coordination. But unfortunately, as I mentioned, the Gaziantep hub has been completely hit. And therefore, we cannot rely on, on the Ocha hub in Gaziantep to be able to to coordinate the aid for the for the northwest of the country. Now, uh, Syria has appealed to the civil uh, civic protection mechanism within the EU. Turkey has appealed to the same protection mechanism. So the ECHO, DG ECHO, can lead this if there is a political will within the European Union to basically lead the coordination effort and the entry of international rescue teams. ECHO has already people on the ground in Damascus. And, and therefore, they can uh, they can you know take 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 the lead on that, and and they're trustworthy 
from from the different uh, you know uh, political powers in the different uh, in the different areas of Syria. Otherwise, it can be left to a, a coordination mechanism among uh, Syrian NGOs in the different parts of Syria. That has happened before when there were you know forced displacements from eastern Ghouta into Idlib, for example. There was a coordination mechanism that was created for shelter to 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 accept people, reception centers, etc. Uh, so there is previous precedents where there has been coordination mechanisms that worked between the Syrian Arab Red Crescent okay. uh, from one side in government-controlled areas yep. and uh, other NGOs operating in the northwest of the country. Joshua, for years the international community has, has fudged its, its policies towards Syria. To what extent could this tragedy, do you think, be a catalyst now for change for the world to take a, a different approach to Syria? Well, it is time to, for a change. The, we've seen in the Arab world, the UAE, Bahrain, now Egypt has stepped forward. There's, Jordan has normalized relations with Damascus and trying to uh, influence the situation in Syria. And I think Saudi Arabia has mentioned, has talked about, it's eager to find some modus vivendi with Assad. They want political, they want some political concessions from Damascus first. But this is a moment when I think um, one needs to look at the sanctions regime, which has been extremely tough on Syria, um, and, and question whether it's working, because it, it has failed. It hasn't changed the political architecture in Syria one iota, but it has starved people. It has hurt the most vulnerable, the, the women and children mostly. 90% of Syrians are living under the poverty line. There's almost no electricity. There's no fuel. And um, the government has, the government and the Syrian economy have come to a standstill. And this, this is not a way to try to revive the Syrian, um, the Syri future of Syria and Syrian people in this time of great need. So I, I think it is a time for the international community to revise its policies, which just have not been working. All right, so, so Syria desperately, the people of Syria desperately need the sanctions to be lifted. Syria uh, itself wants to be reintegrated into the international uh, community. Uh, now is the time you're saying to bring Syria in from the cold, but, but is the Syrian government to be trusted? Uh, will it try to take advantage of the disaster uh, for, for its own end. Of course, it's going to take advantage. You know, everybody is taking advantage of this in one way or the other. And, and, and Assad is going to try to take advantage of this in order to normalize relations. That's what, you know, he's reached out to Egypt. Egypt's reached out to him. He's in the process of trying to normalize relations with Turkey. Of course, it's going to be extremely difficult because of uh, the enclave in the north. And Turkey has been the traditional defender of the uh, Arab insurgency and Arab opposition groups. So, this is a difficult path ahead, but there really is no alternative. The international community has spent the last 11 years trying to destroy Assad and the Syrian army and bring about political change. It failed. It gave up. We saw the rise of ISIS, the rise of al-Qaeda uh, in Syria, mm. and it, it, it got spooked by the Syrian opposition, mm. and it left Assad in place. And that was a decision made by the international community. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And but, and therefore, they, they can't just I, starve the Syrian people I, I, forever. But I, 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 the King of Jordan's also reached out to uh, to President uh, Assad. I just want a, a very quick word, Joshua, on the presence of uh, of, of Russia and Iran in, in Syria and, and where they fit into all yes. of this. Briefly, we've got about a minute left. 
Well, Russia and Iran have been rolling back their aid to Assad, which is one of his major problems. Iran just almost doubled the price of its oil sales to Syria. It's not going to subsidize oil anymore. So um, this this is it makes it very difficult to help Assad for the West to step in, because, of course, we're fighting this war in Ukraine and our enemies are Russia and Iran. So if we can hurt Syria, many people will say, let's do it because it'll hurt Russia and it hurt Iran, and it turns Syria into a quagmire for those two countries. And unfortunately, that's the kind of thinking that has prevailed so far. And perhaps it's time that we change that thinking for the Syrians now that we see this suffering. Gentlemen, there we must end the discussion. Many thanks indeed to all of you, Ahmed Kessa, Assad Al-Achi, and uh, Joshua Landis. And that's it. This episode was produced by Mohamed Elayashi, Katia Lopez-Horayan, Fungi Nguyen, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Sasha Andreevich. The program was edited by George Joseph, Lin Nguyen, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. And thanks for listening. Tune in again on Thursday for our next episode. Mm-hmm.